passion for God and compassion for our neighbor. Reaching our region and beyond with the life-changing message of Jesus Christ. This is Crosswinds Church. And now, here's Pastor Jordan Gowing. I mentioned uh, that this morning's passage is a prayer, and it is an intercessory prayer. It's about the important for, importance of praying for other people. And uh, if you see the title there in your bulletin, it is all about a prayer for true spirituality. This is what Paul is praying for when he thinks of the Colossian church. And if you think about it, our culture is actually fascinated with this idea of spirituality. It's fascinated with the thought of the supernatural, even as organized religion is on the decline. Many of us have likely heard someone say, I am spiritual, but not religious. Indeed, that's an actual growing trend in our culture today. Now, this trend might be somewhat surprising to us, but it actually makes a lot of sense if you look at, into, or you, if you look at it in the context of what's taken place over the past few hundred years. In the 1600s and the 1700s, the Enlightenment stressed a worldview that basically tried to get rid of anything that couldn't be explained by what we can see. The worldview of the Enlightenment was essentially taking concrete and paving over every single piece of beauty in the world, trying to squelch any hint of the spiritual. Of course, we weren't just made to operate on a purely physical plane, and so it was only a matter of time until this spirituality began to reemerge. Like a concrete dam that was under too much pressure, the resulting cracks of this spirituality that has been hidden has, has resulted in an explosion of different types of spiritualities today. Now, unfortunately, much or most of this spirituality is misguided at best and dangerous at worst. And much of our culture pursues a spirituality that has no substance and, only, and the only mantra of this spirituality is be true to yourself. In this context of competing spiritualities, in our context, does the gospel have anything to say about true spirituality? This question is relatively similar to the question that was facing the church in Colossae that Paul addresses in this letter. Many of those in the church in Colossae were heavily invested in spirituality, but they were offended by exclusive claims of true spirituality found in Christianity. These men and these women longed for a less constrained spirituality that would allow them to seek God or find their own salvation anywhere that they chose to look. And so last week, we looked at the, the, the church and saw that the church wasn't actually immune to this cultural pressure. Last week, we saw, uh, as we began this short series on the book of Colossians, we saw uh, Paul praying a prayer of thanksgiving for the church that he had never met, but at the same time was flourishing in their faith and in their love and in their hope. And after that Thanksgiving last week, Paul transitions this week to a very specific prayer for the church in Colossae. For their complex situation, Paul had a very simple prayer for them. And I think it's one that we can learn a lot from this morning. 
This morning we're going to be in Colossians chapter 1, uh, verses 9 through 14. I invite you to open up if you have a Bible. Uh, we're going to be looking at, at this prayer of Paul for true spirituality in the church in Colossae. It's a very simple passage, and I think it really just boils down to one truth for us this morning. It's this. True spirituality pursues God and a life that's pleasing to Him. Let me say that again. True spirituality pursues God and a life that is pleasing to Him. In the midst of a world that says all spiritualities, all ways to God are true and valid and right, the message of Colossians says something different. If you want a true spirituality, if you really actually want to know God, find hope and satisfaction in your life, then pursue God through Jesus and pursue a life that is pleasing to Him. This morning's prayer is very straightforward, as I've mentioned. As we follow Paul's prayer, we're going to first look at the, the pursuit of God. That's Paul's primary ask of God, is that the people of Colossae would pursue God, and then, as a result of that, that they would pursue a life that is pleasing to Him. Let's join our voices together in prayer once more as we approach God's Word. Father, as we approach Your Word, uh, we pause we thank you. We thank you for making yourself known to us in your word, and we stand in awe that you have not just given us creation that declares your majesty, that declares your existence, but you have also made it possible for us to see your heart in your word. God, we ask that as we study the beauty of what you have done for us this morning, that you would send your Holy Spirit. Even as even as we will soon read in, in Paul's prayer for spiritual wisdom and knowledge for the Colossians thousands of years ago. God, we pray the same thing for us this morning, that you would give us spiritual wisdom, that you would give us knowledge as we seek to live lives wholly pleasing to you. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. I mentioned we're in Colossians chapter 1. Uh, uh, Colossians chapter 1 tells us a couple things about the pursuit of, of true spirituality. The first is this. True spirituality starts with knowing God and knowing His will. True spirituality starts with knowing God and knowing His will. Take a look at verses 9 through 14. And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints of light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. After a prayer for Thanksgiving in verses three through eight, here Paul transitions to a prayer for the Colossians spiritual growth. Last week was a template uh, on how to pray a prayer of Thanksgiving. And this morning is really a template on how to pray an intercessory prayer. 
I think the things that Paul prays for here this morning are an excellent place to start in your prayers for your children or for your spouse or for your friends or for the church. Remember, Paul is in prison when he writes this letter, and the focus of his prayer is the spiritual growth of the Colossians. Now, that's not to say that Paul doesn't ask for prayer for himself or doesn't pray for himself in his situation. After all, the end of Colossians, Paul does ask for prayer in his specific situation. doesn't mean that he doesn't pray for the spiritual needs of this church or other churches. But the most important thing to Paul in this moment is for the spiritual growth of the church in Colossae. So what does Paul pray for? Well, we see first in verse 9 that Paul begins by praying that the Colossians be filled with the knowledge of God's will. Verse 9, And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in spiritual wisdom and understanding. Now, when we use the word filled, in a way, we typically mean controlled by. Oftentimes, when we say filled, we mean controlled by. So when we talk about someone being filled with anger, we oftentimes mean that they are being controlled by their anger. Or when we talk about a person who is filled with lust, that means that they are controlled with their lust. Conversely, if we talk about someone, uh, uh, when the Gospels talk about Jesus being filled with compassion, they're actually saying, well, Jesus was being ruled by or controlled by his compassion. He couldn't not do anything. In the same way in Ephesians chapter 5, when Paul says to be filled with the Spirit, he is saying to be controlled by the Spirit. Paul's prayer here is for us to be controlled by the knowledge of God's will. He wants the Colossians to know the will of God so deeply, so well, that it saturates every aspect of their lives and rules over those lives. He wants the knowledge of God's will to go so deep into their hearts, so deep into the core of their being, that it influences every single thing that they do all the time. But if you're like me, you're probably wondering, well, that's great, Paul. I I get that a deep and intimate knowledge of the will of God will transform the way that we live our lives, but I'm not Paul. Paul begins this letter by saying, my name is Paul. I'm an apostle by the will of God. Paul is deeply confident about his calling, about the will of God for his life. How can we know the will of God in that same way? Well, when the Bible talks about the will of God, it refers to it, or it talks about it in a different way uh, in many different passages. Many times it just refers to the sovereign plan of God. In other words, it is God who is sovereign over all, and nothing happens apart from his will. Other times the Bible refers to the general will of God, or when we say the general will of God, what we mean is what God has explicitly revealed in Scripture. Now, we use the term general because it is not dependent upon a situation. So, it is always God's will for his people not to murder. It is always God's will for his people to not deceive or slander or blaspheme. It is always God's will for us to love others. These are universal and general desires of God. 
Uh, Sometimes this general will of God is narrowed to the specific will of God in the scriptures. The specific will of God takes the general will of God and applies it to specific situations. So we all know that the will of God is to love our neighbors. But how exactly should we display that love when dealing with an abusive husband or a friend who wants us to enable their self-destructive habits? The wisdom that it takes to take the general will of God and apply it to a specific situation with the specific will of God is what Paul is focused on here. Indeed, that's what's in view in this passage. When Paul mentions the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, he wants the Colossian church to take the general will of God that's revealed in Scripture and being so in tune with it that they can apply it to any and every situation that they face. Of course, to us, that might sound relatively intimidating. How is it that we develop this spiritual wisdom, this spiritual understanding that helps us in discerning the will of God? Well, it comes from knowing God himself. That's why we started this morning by saying that, the true, that true spirituality starts with knowing God and knowing his will. When we encounter God, we get to know God through his word. When we encounter his will, we get to know his will through his word. Paul begins his prayer by asking that God would reveal himself to the Colossians in the word of God. It's significant that this act by its very nature, is something that is passive for us. We do not fill ourselves with the knowledge of God's will, but instead, Paul prays that we would be filled with the knowledge of his will. It's something that we do not do for ourselves, but instead, that God does to us when we encounter him in his word. When we place ourselves at his mercy, in his word, he will reveal himself to us, and he will reveal his will to us. See, true spirituality starts by knowing God and knowing his will, but that's not where it stops. In fact, the reason that Paul prays the rest of this prayer is not so that way we can just stop there, that we can just stop by knowing God and knowing his will. In fact, Paul has a hoped-for outcome when he makes this prayer. He says, there's a reason why I want you to know God. I know why I want you to know God's will. And that is our second truth this morning. That is this. True spirituality results in a life that is pleasing to God. True spirituality results in a life that is pleasing to God. Notice how Paul transitions here between verses 9 and 10. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Paul is clear here. The purpose for Paul, for praying for them to understand God's will, to have a greater knowledge of God's will in their life, is so that they can live a life that is worthy of of God, a life that is pleasing to God. Paul's primary concern in this prayer is fruit that glorifies God. 
What is significant is that Paul seems to indicate that a life that is truly pleasing to God isn't really possible without first knowing God and knowing his will. Shortly before heading off to my first year of seminary, I traveled home to my hometown to visit my parents and a handful of old friends and mentors that were very crucial in uh, my own spiritual conversion and eventual growth and, and my calling into the ministry. I was relatively surprised when I met with some of these people uh, and reconnected with them, and they were deeply concerned with my desire to attend seminary for pastoral training. They thought that the pursuit of greater knowledge of God was not just unnecessary for being faithful in ministry, but it was something that was a hindrance to faithfulness in following God. In their warped view, they saw ignorance as something that was a sign of greater faithfulness. Nowhere is it made necessary to have a seminary degree or any sort of formal education or training to be a faithful Christian or even to be a faithful pastor or minister of the gospel. Great men and women such as Charles Spurgeon have had incredible ministries without actually having a seminary education. But they pursued a greater knowledge of God and his will through his word that made up for any sort of lack of formal education. This idea that we should not pursue a greater knowledge of God in order for us to be more faithful to God is found nowhere in Scripture. The Bible always links the growth in knowledge of who God is and knowledge of how God wants us to live with a greater intimacy with God and a life that is continually transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit to bear more fruit in your life. You see, at the same time that there is indeed a danger of neglecting a deeper understanding of theology of God to be faithful, the alternative is just as dangerous. A knowledge of God divorced from a life pleasing to God is antithetical to what we see in the Bible. The danger is all too real to replace knowledge of God with knowing God. Excuse me, the other way around. To replace knowing God with a knowledge of God. True knowledge of God leads to intimacy with God. But knowledge should never replace God. If one side is in danger of exalting ignorance over or ignorance at our own peril, then the other side is in danger of exalting the pursuit of knowledge for its own sake. Paul strikes this balance perfectly. Paul strikes the balance of the both and. To Paul, it would have been unthinkable to know God too much, just as it would have been unthinkable to know God without having that drastically change the ways that we live. Paul prays that the knowledge of God would be a part of our lives to the extent that it results in a life that has lived worthy of God, a life that is pleasing to God. And so Paul lists four tangible ways that we can live lives that are pleasing to God here in this prayer. In other words, if you are seeking to know God more, here is a way to examine your own life and see if your life is indeed pleasing to God. Let's take a look at these four areas mentioned by Paul in the rest of this uh, passage. First, notice how Paul starts in verse 10. Verse 10, he mentions bearing fruit in every good work. This is one of the tangible expressions of a life that is pleasing to God, that we bear fruit in every good work. 
We live lives that are pleasing to God when we bear fruit. This is indeed the the reason or the purpose that God has created us and that God has given us new life. Paul declares in Ephesians chapter 2, For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God has prepared before us, beforehand, that we might walk in them. Consider a second how good works are pleasing to God. One of the things that Crystal and I are doing right now uh, with our son, our two-year-old son Silas is teaching him how to pick up toys after himself. Now, normally when we ask him to clean up, we have to gently remind him every few seconds of his calling, of what we have called for him to do in this specific situation, not just the general will of mom and dad, but the specific will of mom and dad. We want him to pick up the toys, not because we can have a clean room, although sometimes that's probably it. We want him to pick up those toys because it transforms or changes or molds his character. Now, it would be far easier for us to just pick up those toys ourselves, just let him continue to do his own thing. But again, that doesn't solve the primary focus of what we want to do. A, A clean room is secondary to the character development that we want to see in our son's life. So every once in a while, and I mean like once or twice, our son has decided to clean up toys on his own without us asking. It's a breakthrough to us, and we're absolutely astounded. We remember that, or we see that Silas remembers his calling, and he picks up those toys on his own. And indeed, there's great joy in my heart and in Crystal's heart and a, a great deal of relief that our son will be able to acclimate into society someday. Not because we... Have to do the work, don't have to do the work ourselves, but because, again, we see the fruit that reveals his heart. So it is with our heavenly Father. He desires us to bear fruit, not because he needs that fruit, but because that fruit reveals our heart. When we bear fruit, it is pleasing to him. Indeed, it is an act of worship. Throughout this passage, Paul is reminding us again and again that worship and work are not competitive, but instead are cooperative, that they work together to please God. And when we bear fruit in our lives, we please God. Notice what else Paul mentions in verse 10. He says this, increasing in the knowledge of God. We live lives pleasing to God when we grow in knowledge. Paul begins this prayer by asking that, the, that God would grant the Colossians to grow in their knowledge of God, but also we see that this is one of the ways that we live lives that are pleasing to God. When we pray, or when we read, or when we take a leap of faith, or we do something new in our faith, or we earnestly seek to, God, to know God more than it pleases him. Think of the relationship between a husband or a husband and a wife. It pleases a wife when the husband takes an initiative to get to know more about her. It pleases a husband when a wife takes the initiative to get to know more about him. In the same way, it pleases God when we take the initiative to get to know more of who he is. Third, take a look at verse 11. In verse 11, Paul mentions that we, uh, he mentions that we are being strengthened with all power. 
This is, again, one of those passives, not something that we do to ourselves. We don't strengthen ourselves, but instead God strengthens us. We live lives pleasing to God when we depend on Him, not ourselves, for spiritual growth. In our desires to live pleasing to God, we will find our strength in one of two places, and only one of these places will actually sustain us. We will either try to find our strength in ourselves, or we will find our strength in God Himself. Oftentimes, when we seek to grow spiritually, we can be like those in Colossae that are led astray by this false teaching. Unintentionally, we can rely on our own strengths to do good. We can grit our teeth and pray. We can grit our teeth to read the Bible, to pursue God. Those who were led astray in Colossae thought that true knowledge was, or true spirituality was found in their own pursuit of deeper spirituality solely on their wits on their knowledge, and on their efforts. In contrast, Paul declares that true spirituality finds its beginning, its middle, and its end in God alone. At the beginning of Ephesians, that was written at the exact same time as Colossians, Paul reveals to us the same power that is at work inside each of us, strengthening us. Is the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 19 and 20. See what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe. According to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places. The spiritual power that is available to you is found in the same Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. Now, this may sound a little foreign to you. After all, you don't really necessarily feel that same type of power. There are times where you can pray for healing or for a miracle, and it seems like God is silent. Is the problem with us? Well, Paul answers that question at the end of verse 11. Being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, for endurance and patience with joy. For what reason has God strengthened us, according to this verse? For what reason has God given us power, according to this verse? Primarily, it is so that we can endure so that we can have patience in all of life's circumstances with joy. When we think of spiritual power and strength, we oftentimes think of miracles, and God does indeed continue to work in that way, but the greatest possible miracle that God can do in our lives is to cultivate endurance, to cultivate patience, with joy for each and every one of us. This word endurance means to remain faithful in the midst of the most impossible circumstances in life. In the midst of sickness, hardship, pain, poverty, endurance says that it is possible to rely on God. It is possible to trust Him in the midst of it all. 
it is possible to be dependent upon God and to trust Him even when life doesn't make sense, even when the easiest response would be to lash out at God in anger. God strengthens us to endure through the most impossible of circumstances. God also gives us patience. Patience here refers more to the impossible relationships in this life. If endurance refers to uh, this idea of faithfulness in the midst of impossible circumstances, patience refers to uh, faithfulness in the midst of impossible relationships. In the midst of relational turmoil, in the midst of slander, in the midst of the unfairness of others, in the midst of anger towards others, patience is to rely on God with a peaceful spirit. It is to depend upon God and to trust Him when we would much rather lash out in anger at those who are surrounding us. God strengthens us to endure through the most difficult of relationships. It's interesting if you look at Moses' life in the Old Testament. Moses did an incredible job of endurance in the midst of the hardships of the wilderness. Moses remained faithful. And yet, Moses wasn't patient with the people. He lashed out in anger toward the people of God and lost his spot in the promised land. It is difficult to do both of these. It is difficult to be patient on the one hand and to endure on the other hand. It is difficult when we are faced with impossible people and impossible circumstances at the same time. How can we manage? Only through the grace of God. Paul tells us that when we are strengthened by God, we are not just strengthened for one, we are strengthened for both. And both are essential in this life. We will be faced with impossible circumstances, and we will be faced with impossible people. How we respond to both will reveal much of our faith and our hope in this life. We live lives pleasing to God when we depend on Him and not ourselves for growth. And finally, Paul declares that we live lives pleasing to God when we express thanksgiving for the gift of salvation. Notice the last few verses, starting in verse 12. Giving thanks to the Father, who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints of light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and has transferred us into the kingdom of His beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Paul concludes with this powerful description of what God has done for us, wording it in a way that reminds us that we are to be very, very thankful for what God has done. Paul urges the church in Colossae to be consistent in offering their thanksgiving to God for what God has done for them, and not only for them, but for everyone who is a child of God. It's fascinating here that Paul has been using the second person. He's been talking about you, you, you throughout this, uh, throughout this passage, throughout this prayer. And then here he gets to this talk about what God has done for the people of Colossae, and he, trans he changes to us. I'm praying that you would do this. I'm praying that you would do this. I'm praying that God would do this for you. Because look at what God has done for all 
of us. For Paul, the prayer of thanksgiving wasn't simply an attitude or a state of mind, but it was an active and consistent part of the believer's life. To truly please God, we must be expressing our gratitude, our thanksgiving for what God has done in our worship, as well as in conversations with others, with those who are around us. You see, during the Exodus, God brought the people out of the domain of slavery in Egypt. He brought them out of the darkness and gave them in the inheritance of the land, bringing them into the kingdom of God. And now the gift that awaits us is infinitely better. We're not giving a temporal inheritance of the land, but an unfading inheritance in the kingdom of God. We've been brought out of the domain of darkness, of slavery to sin, and have been brought into the kingdom of his beloved son, the kingdom of God. God has accomplished all of this through redemption, purchasing us out of slavery to sin and forgiving us our sins. How could we express anything but thanksgiving? True spirituality pursues God and a life that is pleasing to him. We live a life pleasing to God when we bear fruit, when we pursue him more, when we are dependent upon him, and when we respond in thanksgiving. Let's do just that this morning. Pursuing a life pleasing to God here on Sunday mornings and each and every day of our lives. Let's pray. Lord, we rejoice in this prayer that Paul has given to us this morning. We ask that you would come, that you would strengthen us. Help us to depend upon you, to be strengthened by you. God, that you would fill us with the knowledge of your will. That we would pursue you. That we would bear much fruit. And through it all, God, that we would continually be thankful for all that you have done for us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This has been a presentation of Crosswinds Church. More of Pastor Jordan's sermons can be found online at crosswinds.tv. Thanks for being with us, and may God continue to enrich your life.